Coming up on Transformers University, we're heading back to the Marvel US continuity to talk about the final limited series in the original run of Transformers comics. We're talking Headmasters right now on Transformers University. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Transformers University. I am your host, Anthony Brucalli, owner, operator, madman behind TFU.info, the website, the Torah Archive, TFU News and Views Podcast, this podcast, and oh, so much more. And I want to welcome you to episode 105 of Transformers University. And this time around, we're going to get right into it. We're going to hop into the Marvel US Comics continuity. We're going to talk about the Headmasters limited series issues one through four. Now, this is actually the last uh, U.S. limited series from Marvel that we're going to cover uh, because there were only one, two, uh, two of them. Uh, other than this, three total. There was the Universe uh, limited series, which we covered uh, a while back, as well as the Marvel U.S. adaptation of Transformers the movie, which we covered in our 1986 run. And this the Headmasters Limited series, and uh, this was published bi-monthly, uh, beginning in March of 1987. So this came out every other month in 1987, which is uh, interesting to see because this explains why the length of this series explains, uh, and I don't mean in terms of pages, I mean in terms of time to put it out, explains why uh, this leads into the main book. We'll go over all of that. In this entire episode. Now, a couple of interesting and unique challenges in this series. It introduced 62 new characters. It ran as a backup strip in Marvel UK's issues 130 to 145. We'll cover those soon. And uh, it also, much like the original Transformers Marvel US limited series that became Transformers Marvel US uh, ongoing, uh, it got a TV commercial. And this is what it sounded like. In the midst of the Cybertronian War, special mission teams of Autobots and Decepticons blasted their way to planet Nebulon. There, the powerful Transformers let the intelligent Nebulons become the heads of their robots. But the Headmasters were still Autobots and Decepticons, and fierce new battles erupted. Follow the adventures of the Headmaster Transformers and the equally incredible Target Master Transformers in Marvel Comics. Now, this limited series was written by Bob Budiansky, the writer of the Marvel U.S. main series and all of the Transformers uh, packaging and tech specs. And he explains... Uh, about this series in his panel from TFCon Toronto back in 2020 at the beginning of the year, pre-pandemic. And big shout out to the TFCon folks for posting this on YouTube. And I am uh, I am using this and you should check out TFCon. You should attend TFCon this upcoming October 22nd, 2021. And Bob talked about the advantages of Transformers being outside of the main Marvel Universe continuity. One of the fun things about writing Transformers was I could grow it in all sorts of directions. There was really no limit. It did not really exist in the Marvel Universe, although there, there was some minor Marvel crossovers early on. Um, so I could, I could take it to Cybertron. I could take it to other worlds. I could come up with ideas that didn't have to uh, be concerned about whether 
Spider-Man happened to be in New York at the time, or the X-Men were out on the prowl, or you know, or you know, some other Doctor Doom was visiting Earth and taking it, or Doctor Doom was trying to conquer the world or something. I didn't have to worry about that. I just had to worry about my own little sandbox to play in, which was a great thing about writing Transformers. So that takes us to issue one of this limited series, Transformers Headmasters, entitled Ring of Hate, written by Bob Budiansky, pencils by Frank Springer, inks by Aiken and Garvey, colors by Nell Yamtov, letters by Diana Albers, who uh, we last saw in Marvel U.S. Transformers number 11, edits by Don Daly, and the cover... Interestingly enough, drawn by the writer Bob Budiansky. That's right. Bob was known more as an artist editor, as he would put it in his own words, um, in The Toys That Made Us, uh, if you haven't seen it, episode uh, number three of season two. Yours truly, consulting producer on that one. Uh, Bob mentions in his interview that he was considered more of an artist editor versus being a writer editor. And so... Uh, every so often, his pencils do crop up in this Transformers book. And the cover of this one, one that's one of my particular favorites, uh, features uh, Fort Max on the cover removing his head. Um, this one is uh, uh, pretty cool. And this one was by Bob. Now, before we get deep into this issue, I think I think it's important for me to share a bit of my memories of this series. Um, I don't remember exactly where I bought it, but I'm pretty sure i bought it at one of two places and that would be either uh growing up in queens uh there was a comic book and card shop on woodhaven boulevard called collectibles unlimited uh and it was a neat place it was basically 50 50 comics and cards and i remember going there at one point uh when i was starting to get back into transformers um from as a as a result of the return of optimus prime and since there was really no more TV show to watch, uh, I started picking up comics uh, that I hadn't read because uh, I did have a small, small collection of Transformers comics. And I was looking to um, find out more. And they had moved on to a point where I wanted to read everything I could because that was the only fiction out there. Now, I don't remember if I got these there. I may have gotten them at another place. And this place is uh, still around. It's called... Is it still called Tri-County Flea Market? It might be called Unique uh, Flea Market. It's in Levittown, New York in Long Island. And uh, when it was Tri-County Flea Market, the way I can explain it, uh, it wasn't a mall and it wasn't really a flea market. Uh, It's kind of the equivalent to, if you've ever seen Kevin Smith's Mall Rats, uh, the Dirt Mall uh, that they visit in that film. I've never heard that term until seeing that film. Uh, It's kind of like that. It had booths inside of a larger building and uh all those booths are usually the same uh people uh, at least on the main floor and on the upper floor was a jewelry exchange uh it's still there actually anyway there was a comic shop in there and i believe i've talked about this before on the podcast there was a uh, comic shop in there and i remember buying some back issues of transformers there i also remember getting the digest versions of uh, some of the earlier issues uh the tiny uh, Reader's Digest size, postcard size comic books that had two issues in them and were uh, incredibly uh, pocket sized. Now, I think the important thing here for me, for me as a fan, as someone who grew up in this, the 80s, as a kid who was born in the late 70s, uh, doesn't remember anything about the 70s, uh, and and had my adolescence uh, in the 80s, 
these comics, particularly this Headmasters miniseries, and and it's not to speak to the quality of the storytelling or the writing or the art. Um, just the fact that they exist, I think, made me a comic book fan. And I say that because because there was a lack of fiction. Because unless you caught Rebirth the two or three times it was on, there was no fiction around the headmasters figures that were in the stores other than what was on the back of the box. So being able to read this tale in any shape or form and being to kind of give some sort of life to the toy that I had, uh, you know, in a box that I would keep in my basement, uh, you know, of, of Transformers uh, and play with in the basement. That's that's usually where I played as a kid, uh, especially as I got older, uh, 1987 age range. Um, so I would say that those comics are really, really um, not just made me and continued making me a Transformers fan at the time, but did turn me into a comic book fan because it opened me to the medium. And I think that's what's important about these books. So diving into these books and reading these for the first time in a very, very long time, it's got to have been probably 10, if not 20 years since I've last read this miniseries. Uh, I didn't remember much of it, but I remember the feeling of being a kid and just seeing art and seeing words come out of the characters that I owned because I had Brainstorm, I had Hardhead. I didn't have many of the characters in this series, but I had enough where it was fun for me to read these books. And I think with that, we're going to dive into the story here uh, on what actually brought those toys to life for me as a child and probably for many of you and for those looking back on this story to wonder why uh, it is significant, whether it's uh, good or bad or somewhere in between. Now, story starts on Cybertron. The Autobots are uh, that are there are being death marched to the smelting pools. Uh, Fortress Maximus uh, attacks that group and frees the Autobots, and there's a lot of cool generics and Cybertronian modes in uh, this scene. There's a lot of miscolored uh, modes in the scene as well. And uh, it's just kind of cool to look at. Uh, and, and for someone, again, who grew up on the original series, and and I think, you know, the, those episodes where they went to Cybertron on the cartoon and had these modes that were so futuristic and not uh, entirely the same as their Earth mode, I honestly think... That 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 spark of imagination totally carries over to the comics for uh, pretty much any fan, I either now or then, and uh, so it was always cool to see these these weird alt modes uh, in the comics, whether they were generics, whether they were certain characters. I know we see uh, uh, Fast Track in one of these scenes, and he's just miscolored, but uh, it, it's always kind of cool to see them on the page. Now. Uh, after the battle, Fortress Maximus uh, at base wants to leave Cybertron for a peaceful planet, one he has found called uh, Nebulos. And basically the 1987 Autobots toy line uh, packs up and goes there. We do get a lot of uh, more cool generics and alt modes as they land. And Fortress Maximus sends Highbrow on a mission to deliver a recording to the natives. Uh, Highbrow finds... Gort, his uh, future partner, uh, along with his current partner, Marita, at the local makeout point. 
This startles the uh, couple, and uh, Gort accidentally falls off a cliff, so Highbrow leaves his message with Marita. Now, at the Nebulan city of Koraja, uh, which is the Nebulan capital, the Council of Peers, which is kind of like, a, I guess, like the Galactic Council or, uh, or your local uh, Senate or House of whatever, uh, they debate uh, a course, a parliament would be another word I was looking for there. Um, they uh, debate uh, the possible courses of action here. Uh, in this uh, debate, the robots have become politicized. I know, shocking. What is old is new again. And Galen and Zarek, uh, these are the two main characters in this series, uh, they argue. And it's neat because we kind of get to see the Nebulans in their natural form, their uh, human like people uh uh there's no weird skin tone they're, they're not green men uh with with odd colored hair like they are in uh, uh rebirth they're just uh people and uh it, with some weird futuristic kind of uh flash gordon kinds of uh outfits uh and uh so as they're uh in the capital uh, Blur arrives as an envoy, and Zarek has one of his allies, Krunk, shoot Blur with a magnetic polarizer. Now, this forces Blur's arm to accidentally fly backwards and destroys the fountain in the middle of the town square. The people think he's attacking, and Blur flees. In the uh, attack, Marita is injured uh, in the ensuing stampede. Now, uh, in the mountains, there's a remote stockpile, and uh, this remote stockpile is the Nebulan uh, military storage uh, facility, essentially. Uh, they've been at peace for, for I think it says 10,000 10, years. Uh, you have to go back and check that, but uh, they've been in peace for a long time, and Galen... Uh, digs out these retired weapons of war. The Nebulans attack the Autobot camp, but the Autobots are instructed not to fight back and flee and get injured too. Days later at Karaja, Fort Max and company arrive and they offer their heads and weapons as a show of peace. And that's where this story ends. Now, it's also important to note that in this first issue, of the limited series. This is the first Marvel U.S. story told not on Earth and not on Cybertron. Uh, every story up to this point, uh, and basically, I wouldn't say every story since, but but for a good long while, um, takes place on Earth or Cybertron. Now, Marvel UK veered off, off either of those planets uh, a couple times before this. But uh, at least in terms of the story, Marvel US is the first time we're seeing an alien world uh, in the Transformers universe. And that will wrap up the first issue of Headmasters. Now that takes us to issue number two, entitled Broken Glass. The entire creative team is the same, with the exception of the letterer. That would be Pat Brousseau, who we last saw in Transformers number 32 as the letterer. And cover on this one done by Frank Springer. Story starts out with protests at the statue that was destroyed last issue. Uh, in the protest, Galen gets punched in the face by a protester. And we meet Lyra, Zarak's daughter, and Galen's fiance. Galen 
goes to the uh, disembodied head of Fortress Maximus and reactivates him. And Fort Max gives us a bit of a recap. Members of the Council of Peers visit the Autobot encampment outside of the city. Uh, there, Vorath, another ally of Zarak, steals the frequency to contact Cybertron. This will be important because later, uh, Zarak and friends contact Fort Max's old base, which just happens to have Scorponok and his friends hanging out inside. Now, as we meet the Decepticons in the story, there's a neat error here on page 10. Uh, as a character who identifies himself as Cyclonus, but he is drawn as Nightstick, Cyclonus's target master partner, who he hasn't gotten yet, and is also a full-size Decepticon. Uh, the UK story version of this, because Cyclonus was already in their timeline as uh, the character from the movie traveling back and forth through time, the UK renamed him Chronix and had to change basically uh, anytime the script mentioned Cyclonus for this issue. Now, Scorponok and his friends, they decide, hey, let's let's head over to Nebula. So we get some more cool generics in the artwork as the Decepticons fly to Nebulos and attack Karaja. Because what else are they going to do? They're Decepticons. In those generics, by the way, are, are Flywheels and Six Shot, the only time either two will appear in the Marvel U.S. comic. So the Nebulans, they're being attacked. They need to explore some other options. They plan to binary bond with the Autobots. And in this, we meet Stylor, who shows up uh, basically to have <laughs> plastic surgery done, I guess. And uh, Duro's not really thrilled with uh, Stylor, just as we had talked about in the uh, Marvel UK annual, where this story is kind of uh, retold in, in, from different perspectives. Uh, Duro's calls him a society dandy. But Galen has him along for the ride. And... Uh, they begin the procedure to binary bond with the Autobots. Now, this operation takes hours. How the city holds up against the Decepticon forces for hours, never explained. But that's okay because the Nebulans now become the heads of the Autobots. They transform. They get placed on the bodies. And actually, Fortress Maximus here, as Galen, who becomes Fort Max's head, uh, transforms. He turns actually into the head of Cerebro. So we get a little bit of weird mismatched art with uh, the wrong head on the full Fort Max body. The Autobots repel the attack, and they reveal their heads to the people of Nebulos. Lyra, Galen's betrothed, uh, not happy, and decides to, to leave her fiancé. She's done. She's out. Peace out, bro. Um, and that is how issue two wraps up. Now, we got two more issues to cover, but first, I want you to give a quick listen to this. Hey, want to help out this podcast or the website tfu.info? There's a number of ways you can do it. Let me tell you how. You can help us directly by joining our Patreon and enrolling as a student at Transformers University. There, you'll get early access to the podcast as well as exclusive behind-the-scenes peaks and perks for as little as $1 a month. Sign up is quick and easy. Just swing on by to www.patreon.com slash tfuinfo. Another way you can help us is by using our Amazon link, www.tfu.info slash Amazon. Type that into your browser whenever you want to shop at Amazon, and a portion of what you spend will be contributed back to us. It's that easy. Finally, you don't become the world's longest-running transforming toy archive without some help from other fans. 
We're always on the hunt for photos of figures and accessories we're missing from our pages. If you'd like to contribute, go to tfu.info slash help for a list of what we need or send an email to info at tfu.info. tfu.info, the Alpha Trion and Omega Prime of Transforming Toys. Now, back to the show. That takes us to issue three. Entitled Love and Steel, it is the same uh, creative team as issue two, and that is Steel with two E's. And it starts out in Splendora, the resort city of Nebulosa. It's kind of neat here. We're getting a lot of the geography of the planet of Nebulosa. And they not necessarily how it's laid out, but we're getting various cities and places on the planet. In Splendora, uh, the Terracons are running rampant uh, alongside Ape Face and Snapdragon and Trigger Happy and a few other Decepticons until the Autobots arrive. Uh, the Terracons form Abominus, the Technobots form Computron, the Decepticons flee, and the people of Nebulos uh, still don't trust the Autobots. We meet uh, a person who is a peer on the Council of Peers named Soriza, and uh, she wants the uh, Council to supervise any Autobot missions going forward. And you know how bureaucracy helps all these things move quickly and smoothly, right? Uh, anyone has ever had an office job, you know exactly what I'm talking about. At the remote facility, Scorponok and company uh, have captured Zarek and the others. And I say the remote facility, I mean a remote facility. Um, it's never really explained how they're captured or, or how they got there, but um, Zarek wants to cut a deal. And uh, the Decepticons are in the process of building a, a bubble machine. The defeated Decepticons uh, from the battle return as Zarek offers his cooperation with Scorponok. At the Autobot and Nebulan headmaster base, Lyra brings a message to Galen from her father. Now, this message is basically like, hey, we're in trouble. So the Autobots and Nebulans, they decide they will attack. And Soriza, she's going to put together an accompanying party of bureaucrats. So the Autobots arrive. And we find out that the Decepticons now have headmaster abilities. So what do you do now? Of course, you fight. Um, in the fight, the battle damages the council hover ship that is uh, filled with bureaucrats. And they flee into the base, hypnotized by Mindwipe uh, and following his instructions. And that includes Lyra. Uh, as Scorponok sees Lyra, he hesitates because Zarak is his head. And Zarak, for a second, takes over. Uh, there's an interesting uh, concept here that is starting to be explored, but not really getting too in-depth of where the Nebulon ends and the Cybertronian begins. Uh, and it's neat to see this here. So... Scorponok doesn't care or anything about Lyra, but Zarak does. And it's almost as if Zarak is becoming possessed by Scorponok, and we'll see a little bit more of that as we go on. Uh, the Autobots become distracted, saving Nebulans, because the Nebulans have been placed into bubbles and floated into the sky. That's what the bubble machine was for. Uh, as the Autobots save the Nebulans, uh, the Decepticons attack from behind and win. They remove their heads just as the hypnosis wears off. And Lyra thinks her dad is a hero, not remembering anything about how her own life was in danger. And that's where this one wraps up. Now, issue three, um, 
it's got some neat concepts but that bubble machine just aggravates me i don't know if it bothers you just hearing about it it's such a weird MacGuffin device um it it's like we're the decepticons we're gonna build the distraction uh just go in there and just guns blaze and start shooting people uh what what are you creating a distraction for um and especially something like that you could probably just threaten the nebulans in your own time uh without <laughs> you can just send ape face and snapdragon to do it you know so it's just it's just a strange way uh, to go about it. Um, visually, it does make for kind of a cool cover, uh, but that's that's about it. And finally, that brings us to four issue four of a four issue limited series entitled Brothers in Armor. Once again, we get the same creative team except for the letterer. This time, it's Jack Morelli who was the letterer back in Transformers issue number thirty five. We've covered all these main series issues on the show. So if you want to learn a bit more about those folks, check out the episodes corresponding to those issues uh, because uh, we do delve a bit into their personal history. And uh, once again, the cover done by Frank Springer here, but the inks on the cover of this one by Danny Bulanati. Uh, that's B-U-L-A-N-A-D-I. Uh, he was an inker for Marvel and DC in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And he holds a rare distinction of being someone who was also a storyboard artist on season three of the Generation One Transformers cartoon. So he is one of the few rare people to have worked on both the original cartoon and the original comic. Uh, something else we see in this issue uh, from issue three to issue four is a price drop. Uh, the cover price for the first three issues was all one a U.S. dollar, and uh, this issue drops down to 75 cents. There's really no explanation uh, to me why the price dropped. There might be a bigger uh, Marvel dropped all their prices for uh, a week or a month explanation, but I don't exactly know what it is. I probably should have looked it up, but if you're a big Marvel uh, history aficionado, hit me up on Twitter at tfu underscore info, or uh, hit us up somewhere else on the on the uh, the Facebook page, or shoot me an email at info at tfu info, and and tell me if you know why the price came down twenty five cents. Now the episode starts with the Autobots and Decepticons fighting at Mercury Gardens. Uh, the Autobots are losing this battle and they flee, and uh, the local news arrives to interview Zarak and Lord Zarak gives his recap of the previous three issues now uh, at the Autobot camp uh, the monster bots return from the fight and they say how much they are outmatched uh, Galen's supporters are at the camp and they want to do something in the process of this hot rod intercepts an Autobot message asking for help off world this is actually something we haven't covered in our comic book coverage yet but we'll be doing soon uh, that message does come from the main book. Now, these Autobots and their new friends plan to attack the Decepticons. Now, back at the capital of Kor Raja, the Autobot headmasters, uh, or their Nebulan partners, I should say, are prisoners of Lord Zarek. Zarek wakes up Galen uh, for Lyra, his ex-fiance, and uh, Zarek shares with him his plans to try him under the death penalty. Just then, Lord Zarek receives word that the Autobots are nearing something called the nursery. Now, this is the uh, agricultural backbone of Nebulos. Uh, it is free to all citizens. 
And the Decepticons and Lord Zarek are looking kind of basically to privatize this uh, this operation. And uh, as the Autobots are nearing the nursery, the Decepticons attack them. But the Autobots show off their new powers as Target Masters. Now, those new friends that the Autobots have, those are the Target Master partners for Hot Rod Blur Cup, Point Blank Sure Shot, and Crosshairs. In the battle, the nursery is destroyed and the Autobots retreat. Zarek becomes torn at what he has become. Now, earlier, Galen had kind of laid into him that he was becoming a monster, and Zarek is starting to see this. And this goes back to what we were talking about before, about where does the Nebulon end and the Decepticon or Autobot begin. Days later, in the city of Koraja, uh, the Nebulon Decepticons get target masters of their own. And in this sequence, Cyclonus is once again Cyclonus uh, in drawing and then in uh, the UK version as well. Now, during this uh, scene, Lord Zarek demands access to the cell containing the Nebulon Autobot-aligned headmasters. He punches out Krunk, uh, who is operating the cell, and frees Galen, Duros, Arcana, and Stylor, and Gort. And they and their Autobot bodies make an escape. Zarek then takes his daughter Lyra and flees on his own. The Autobots begin fighting the Decepticon target masters. But as the battle rages on, Zarek hears the battle and is drawn away from his own daughter. And he's drawn away to join the battle with Scorponok. And this, once again, plays into this really kind of cool notion of... of what the binary bonding process has done to these organic uh, nebulans that they're they're humanoid they're human-esque right Um, and so they they are now becoming part of this robot being that they are attached to Uh, uh, it's a concept that I, I would like to have seen dug in a little deeper and I think you know what I think Furman does dig a bit into it later on uh but it this is where it begins and now Zarek and Scorponok, they join the battle. The Autobots escape and return to their camp. Uh, At the camp, Lyra arrives and pleads with Galen uh, to help and stay with her on Nebulos. Now, Galen realizes that he needs to leave this planet and he can't have any ties here. So he lies and he tells her he is fed up with Nebulos, uh, basically freeing himself to leave, freeing himself from having to worry about Lyra following him to Earth. Uh, and the Autobots, they prepare to leave and do so. And then Zarek and the Decepticons follow them into space. Space! So that leaves Nebulos and Lyra to pick up the pieces. And the story is to be continued in Transformers Ongoing, number 38. And that wraps up the Headmasters Limited series. Thanks for listening to the show. Stick around to hear what's coming up next episode. But first, I want to fill you in on a few ways you can stay in touch with the show. Want to be on the show? Leave us a voicemail at 702-763-4838. That's 702-POD-4TFU. Or send an email to info at tfu.info. Be sure to catch us on Twitter at tfu underscore info and on Facebook and Instagram under the username tfuinfo, all one word. 
Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash TFUinfo, where we post all of our podcasts, plus special video segments, reviews, and live coverage of Transformers-related events such as New York Toy Fair and New York Comic Con. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please visit us at www.tfu.info, the world's longest-running transforming toy archive. And so that wraps up the Headmasters Limited Series. And, you know, rereading this for the first time in a long time, as I mentioned before, I found the ending a little empty. I, I, I enjoyed seeing some of these characters come to life, but not as much as I did back as a kid. Not as much as I did in my late teen years, my early 20s as a fan. Um, because a lot of these characters now appeared in multiple iterations of fiction and in multiple different ways and a lot of ways uh, better uh, to some extent. And that's not counting some of the stuff we're going to cover soon in, in upcoming episodes. So I think, you know, over time, I don't know if this series has held up to the place it had in my heart before I started reading these stories for this episode. That said, they're still a good read. They're still an entertaining uh bit of Transformers comic history. I don't know if they're necessarily necessary anymore, other than the fact that this story does play into things that are going to happen in the main run of the comic. And just what does happen? Well, you're going to have to stick around in Transformers University to find out. And it's going to be a little bit before we cover Marvel U.S. comics, but we do have a lot, a lot of Headmasters coverage coming up because 1987, that's the theme. It's the Headmasters, it's the Target Masters, and a lot of the characters that go along with it. So speaking of which, coming up next episode, we're going to prep for the first Japanese exclusive series of Transformers, and that is Transformers Headmasters. It did not air in the United States. It did not air in English until the early 90s, but we'll talk about the company that made the English dubs in the early 90s. And the reason um, we're fast-forwarding and fast-tracking that uh, is because as we're going through Headmasters, now I have not really experienced the Headmasters cartoon in its entirety, uh, not even close. I've seen probably a handful of episodes, and most of those are from the dub. The dub holds a very, very important place in the fandom zeitgeist of Headmasters. And so to do Headmasters without it would be doing a disservice to the series and a disservice to Transformers fandom because the dub, for all its flaws, is also as important as the original series in the original Japanese for entirely different reasons. So next episode, we're going to talk a little bit about the production company involved in making those dubs. And we're going to talk about Omni Productions as Transformers University continues. So until next time, I am your host, Anthony Brucalli, owner, operator, madman behind TFU.info. Till then, see ya. Entitled A Brothers in Arm More. <laughs> Let me try that again. Three, two.